Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space. Z-Dog MD is back. I'm delighted that uh, Zubin Demanya, also known as Z-Dog MD, is back on the show. It's been a little over a year since you joined us last. About a year ago when he was on the show, we spent most of our time talking about his role as the satirist of medicine and the power that he was able to exert in poking fun and, and skewering some of the biggest facets of medicine. A year later, things are a little different, and he has been able to pivot and become one of the most important healthcare activists in the United States. It's a fascinating journey that he's been on, and I am delighted that he was able to come back and join us. I know you want to hear him. I'm going to get right to it. Without further ado, Zubin Demanya, also known as Z-Dog MD. Z-Dog, welcome back. Yo, Westside! Is it okay to call you Z-Dog or is it Zubin? What's the professional address? You know, I mean, uh, 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 Zubin is so, you know, 1997. I think uh, <laughs> if, we, if we kick it Z-Dog style, that might, be, uh, that might be apropos. I like it. So you were on the show about a year ago. And at that time, you would have been maybe a C plus, B minus healthcare celebrity. Is that fair? I would say more like a, a D to E. D to E. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Fair enough. That's changed. Um, you've definitely moved up a few notches. As you've been moving up and as the, the Z-Dog empire is growing, do you ever find it difficult or do you ever catch yourself wondering if you're supposed to be sort of playing a character known as Z-Dog or if it's always okay to be Zubin because people know that Z-Dog is just part of Zubin? Yeah, you know, the thing has evolved so much that now this Z-Dog, Zubin, they're just two sides of the same coin. It's kind of like uh, the character we created, Doc Vader. Yes. He, he's he's our healthcare id. He can kind of say what we're thinking that we would never be allowed to say in a clinical or professional setting. So in a way, Z-Dog is a little bit of that. And and uh, so, but, but they're so blended now, especially when I go and do uh, talks and performances, the characters are really, um, really blended. Do you ever have to sort of think to yourself, all right, I'm going to get off stage, go home, call the family, write some emails, check in with my buddies. Is there something that you have to put to the side? And conversely, when you get up on stage and you're going to be Z-Dog and you're going to be this guy that, you know, is moving the needle and becoming quite popular and quite famous, is there something that you have to sort of get a game face for? Mm. You know, I, I'm always cognizant that people are watching what we do. So I try to make sure the message, the fundamental underlying message of the movement, which is we're trying to transform healthcare to health 3.0, that I'm always communicating that publicly. Um, and even at home, I'm, I'm brainstorming with my wife and my, uh, my team, like, how can we get this movement really going? So everything is sort of pointing towards that. So that's the only thing I keep in mind. Otherwise, I'm just kind of uncensored and try to be as sincere and authentic as I can be just because I don't think I'm capable. Uh, it's been a problem of mine <laughs> to try to not be myself. I've tried it in my career. It doesn't work. Um, it always, the, the me always comes out. So, uh, you know, that's been, that's been the struggle. The struggle is real, my friend. So a year ago when you were st on the journey, now you're a year later, to me, it really does seem like you are pivoting where before the videos were 
clever and witty. And it was satire, almost for satire's sake, saying medicine needs to be skewered. Let's poke ourselves in the eye. Let's have a little fun. Let's crack a few jokes and have a few laughs. The Z-Dog movement and the things that you are now talking about, it's very different. It's this healthcare 3.0, which a year ago we weren't talking about. Where, where, What is this? Where is this coming from? Yeah, you know, I mean, this was always the Trojan horse idea that we had, which was use the comedy and the videos to kind of of sneak in this concept that we need to move beyond what what I call health 1.0 and health 2.0, which health 1.0 being that old, um, our parents' healthcare system where it was a doctor and a patient in the sacred relationship, but it was completely unregulated and there was no, it was evidence ignorant and it was systems ignorant and certainly they used paper and technology wasn't a thing um, and they build whatever they wanted and they got paid. And, and, you know, a lot of docs call that the golden age of medicine because nobody messed with us, right? But it was not the game that we really need to be playing and it, to actually improve the health and the economics of healthcare, right? So, so what ended up happening was this response, which was 2.0. 2.0 is where I think we are mostly trying to be now, which is medicine as a machine, medicine as an assembly line, medicine as a process. So you're talking about lean and Six Sigma and uh, different quality improvement stuff and EHRs and click boxes and meaningful use and the Affordable Care Act and all the sort of regulatory measures where the sort of world said, no, docs, you're not good at self-regulating. We're going to do it for you and we're going to apply the principles of business. Well, the downside there is that medicine is not solely a business and now it is treated as such. And so we lose the human heart of it. Everybody feels like a commodity. We're treating people according to cookbook algorithms designed via you know, not great data in randomized control trials designed, you know, it, it tested on, on Northern Europeans and we're treating to the average of a bell curve. We're not seeing our unique patient anymore. We're not using the art of medicine and we're certainly not taking care of each other as providers. So we're burning out. There are high rates of suicide. People won't recommend the career to their kids. So it's this conflict between one and two, the old school saying, no, we need more autonomy. And the new school saying, no, you guys need to actually think about systems and technology. That is the main conversation now. And it was from that conflict that the Z-Dog MD character emerged to kind of poke fun and to release steam and that kind of things. But as I started, you know, building, we built our own clinic, Turntable Health in Vegas. We started trying to think, well, what are the principles of a transcendent healthcare that actually goes beyond one and two. It doesn't deny the existence of both. It takes the best aspects, transcends and includes them. And what emerges is bigger than the sum of the parts. So now that we have this critical mass, it took six years to build enough of a following where people actually care what we say and what we think and what we're going to do. And now we're at that point where we have you know, 310,000 followers on Facebook, all healthcare providers and activist patients, and they want to do something. They're tired of complaining. And now we have, well, here's where we can point. This is where we're trying to lead. Let's figure out how to get there. And that's Health 3.0. When you were seeing those numbers climb, I mean, right, we talk about evidence. Talk about, for you, you're looking at data as well of when are you going to hit that tipping point? When is it kind of go time? Yeah. Did you get to that point faster than you thought? Was there more enthusiasm, more engagement? And how did you feel like, okay, we're there. Let's pivot. Let's go with healthcare 3.0. You know, it was a, it was an overnight success that took six years, right? As they say. So, <laughs> yeah. so, you know, in, in the last one year after we re after we released the song readmission, and that kind of went unexpectedly viral and started opening dialogue in the wonky circles of hospital, you know, Becker's Hospital Review 
And, you know, these really nerdy, horrible journals were talking about my readmission song as a symbol of how care coordination goes poorly, how we don't look at the whole continuum of care. And here's a hospitalist bitching about it and pointing it out in a song. And that's when things started to get more serious. And then I got opportunities to make videos like EHR State of Mind, Ain't the Way to Die, more serious pieces that opened the dialogue. And I think after that, what started happening is I started getting recognized in airports and recognized on the street and random towns and recognized on Main Street in Disneyland when I was with my kids from a, a Filipino doctor who was a fan. And that's when I realized, okay, like something has happened to where now it is my it is my moral responsibility to use the platform that we built to actually try to do good as opposed to just be a complete jackass. So you've clearly channeled Peter Parker, Stanley. With great power comes great responsibility, right? You're Spider-Man now for healthcare, but and, you're doing you know, it. Well, you know, I was bitten by a radioactive uh, VA patient uh, when I was young, <laughs> yeah. and uh, ever since that- When you were young, I, not even when you were a medical no, student or no, a resident. I, I was young, but only recently I've found when I get upset, um, I get a hemi ischemia, but the, <laughs> the contralateral side of my body gets superpowers. So yes, a bit very similar. So it's sort of that hemi hypertrophy where one side just gets completely- ripped and and goes crazy that's exactly yeah. right whereas the other side has a as a hemi neglect right um i don't i don't recognize that it's my own arm um and so the bad guys understand very quickly that my weakness is tpa yeah uh, because and and uh you know my 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 superhero costume is actually a clock with all the numbers <laughs> drawn on one side right so <laughs> right and a line going down away from and, the clock Exactly right. Um, and the, the bad guys probably also know that it's going to be a really weird fight. It's, the fight's going to be weird because all they have to do is step into my agnostic field of, of view <laughs> right. and, they, and they effectively disappear. It's and like they're just going to disappear and they can go do whatever they want. They do whatever they want. I do want to unpack this idea of the Trojan horse just a little bit because if we think about the Trojan horse filled with Darth Vader, Justin Bieber, R. Kelly, Taylor Swift, First of all, we need a GoPro mounted on the inside of the Trojan horse while they're waiting to get out. But when they get out, that's going to be a dumpster fire. Could you imagine Homer um, writing that piece with uh, Bieber? I mean, just Bieber having a dialogue with Doc Vader in the belly of the Trojan horse, just ready to bust out. Yeah, no, no. I think um, it's interesting because you throw in the kitchen sink when you're trying to do these things. So Justin Bieber, we used as a Trojan horse to talk about the opioid crisis from a standpoint of compassion. So these are people suffering with a disease and also the, the caregivers are suffering from the manipulation and all the behavior uh, that the, and, and sometimes they feel like enablers, right? When we're, when we're told, okay, H caps and press gaining, all these things want us to treat pain as a, another vital sign. And they, and if we don't make patients happy, we get dinged. And, and so we end up enabling some of this opioid dependency. You look at what pharma's done with Purdue pharmaceuticals and all of that. And so I threw that in a song and then you use Doc Vader to kind of just be the voice of the caregivers, the providers, the clinicians that are like, look, man, this ain't working. And this is what we think. And um, the reason those videos resonate is I think it's funny because they're true. And then the idea is you open up a dialogue. For example, I, I <laughs> you know, talking about a Trojan horse, like I, I use Doc Vader versus the hospital administrator as an example of this tension between health 1.0 and health 2.0. The autonomous physician whose art of medicine is being destroyed by the evil hospital administrator who is more interested in metrics and numbers and Six Sigma sort of protocols. So what ends up happening is they have this little interchange where Doc Vader's like, you know, every day it feels like the emperor 
is putting a lightsaber in my buttocks. And, you know, she's, you know, she's got that typical sort of administrator HR face where she's like, well, putting a smile on our patient's face is always good policy. And they have this tension. I got forgot the part where they thank you for the feedback. Oh, yeah. I I hear where you're coming from. I get what you're saying. But, you know, it is not okay to force choke a patient, you know, so, you know, stuff like this. Right. And, and what I got was a ton of uh, emails from both nurses and, and clinicians saying, thank you for being our voice. This is what it's like every day. And from administrators who are saying, look, it doesn't have to be this us versus them. We're as trapped as you. We're powerless in this system when all the incentives are aligned to, for us to behave this way. Maybe we should change the system. And I said, that's exactly right. So when you get administrators and clinicians emailing you, you know, you can create a connection that maybe we can actually do some good. That is fascinating though, that, you know, that with that us versus them part where the physicians, the the nurses, the patients probably do feel like there is a battle line drawn between on the other side, the industry, the administrators, that there is that sort of extension of an olive branch. Like, listen, we're kind of stuck too. You know, I don't think administrators like being painted the way that they're painted. I don't think they like being perceived the way they're perceived. I'll be totally fair and upfront. In my career, those that I've worked with, I've found to be very hardworking, diligent, thoughtful people who have a skill set that they know how to use, but they're not, there's no malice. They're not trying to kind of get over, but there's definitely a disconnect. It's Mm. interesting that they are reaching out kind of through you to kind of bridge that, that gap. It's a, you, you nail it. I mean, what it is, these are very good people for the most part. And you're always going to get the bad eggs on both sides, clinicians clinicians and administrators, but the administrators I've met in my travels now and locally here in town and the hospitals, they really want to do the right thing. They care about patients. They care about their providers. The, The problem is they are in a system that it's like being in the matrix. You have to behave a certain way in order to get through your day because all the incentives are aligned that way. So maybe we have to look at those systemic issues. Maybe we have to, I mean, my feeling is once you reach a critical mass where enough people are sort of health 3.0 aware, like, okay, it could look like this. We could get paid based on real outcomes instead of quality measures that don't measure quality. We could partner with our administrators to actually get paid, do well financially by doing good for our patients and taking care of each other and staffing appropriately and, you know, using technology to actually, instead of clicking boxes to please the meaningful use bean counters, we are actually using the technology to enable the human relationship so that we get better outcomes. That's all possible. We just need to work together to make it happen. Once we reach a tipping point, we're going to demand that. And that means that government's going to have to shift its emphasis. It means that insurance companies are going to um, need to uh, play along. And honestly, they're motivated to do this. They just don't have the, they don't have the incentives yet. It's still a sort of a, a, an old world incentive system. Where is the pushback coming from? Obviously, you've built a following. It's going to continue to grow. You Mm -hmm. have certainly become a voice for a generation using things that we kind of have as a common language. I think, you know, Doc Vader's just brilliant. Where's the pushback coming from? There there has to be um, a contrary voice, right? There has to be some dissent. That's good and it's healthy. Where is it coming from? Oh, man. I mean, I I could rant on this for a while, but here's my take. You would think that dissent against this would come from entrenched systemic uh, interests like insurance companies. Well, I just spoke to a group of insurance executives and it got a standing ovation as I, as I spelled out this health 3.0 thing because they are looking for the path forward. They see themselves becoming basically government-regulated utilities. And what they want to do is they want to partner with providers to provide really good care at a good cost with great outcomes at value. But 
all the incentives are misaligned, right? So they're not really as much of the problem as I thought it would be. Looking at hospitals, well, they're still incentivized to fill beds and to do the sort of volume-based churn, but they are looking for change. Where I have found the biggest pushback is from doctors. So our own tribe, our own people, that you know how they are, Mark. They, we are very inertia-driven. We're sort of, uh, we're risk-averse. We fear change. Um, we're, we're beaten down by our training to be very much um, conformist. You know, we were the straight-A students that were the most creative, the most interesting, and a lot of that was beaten out of us. So now what happens is if you go talk to a medical association, the majority are like, yes, how do we build this? And then there are those in the old school that are like, no, 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 no. The system can't change that way. This is a pipe dream. This is naive. You know, this kid is really dumb and his clinic is just, you know, unicorns and rainbows. And, you know, it's unprofessional. We make these videos in the first place. And so if you go to Kevin MD or one of these uh, sites and he posts any of my stuff, I get a lot of hate on Kevin MD nowhere else. Um, and it's all doctors. Um, and I think part of, part of it is that there's this contingent of libertarian doctors who are like everybody out of my business. We're going back to 1.0. So they're mad because, you know, I'm talking about 3.0, which actually combines one and two. And it's a very kumbaya kind of thing where we work with government, we work with payers, we work with companies, we work with each other and we work with nurses and we treat everybody non-hierarchically. They don't like that. Then you've got the 2.0 docs who are like, no, I have so much invested in my lean Gemba walkthrough and, and my, you know, my it sounds nonsensical when you say it, but that's a real thing. That's a real thing. I know. And, 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 you know, these are the ones that are like, no, we're already working on it. 2.0 is the answer. Like, what is this 3.0 nonsense? And so I found my own people, my own tribe to be the biggest pushback. And what I found is it's nurses actually who are the most excited about pushing forward because they were the canaries in the coal mine. This stuff's been happening to them 10 years prior to it's been to the, to when it's been happening to docs. Like they've been clicking boxes for longer than us. They've been dealing with uh, staffing ratios and issues forever. And it's just now catching up to docs, right? So they're ready to go. It's going to be important. I think that that cohort of docs who I think like you recognize that the 2.0 needs to be detonated, but they're swinging back to the stone age, right? They're, right. they're blowing up the buildings and they're going to see people, you know, in a single <laughs> office with a paper chart. I mean, I don't mean to oversimplify, but they are swinging away from, you know, they're swinging back to a, a perhaps a more romantic idea of how we can do this, but it's not one that will be efficient or effective in terms of population health. Yes. To what, that, you, to what you're looking at. So there is that, it sounds like there's a tension between even those who want change. Yeah, a hundred percent. And if you, if you look, take a look at uh, Brad uh, Pitt's character in Fight Club. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he wants to go back to this time where, you know, literally there's deer meandering through the freeways and, you know, we go back to this natural sort of thing. Honestly, the libertarian component, I think, of the physician community that wants 1.0, and you see a lot of that in the direct primary care community. They want to get off the grid. They want to practice the way they want to practice. And honestly, that's fine. There's room for all of these angles, right? But they are wanting change in a different way than I think uh, then I think, then personally, I think change needs to go. Change needs to go to systems thinking that empowers individual care, both on the provider side and the patient side. And even if I use the word provider, this contingent of libertarian physicians gets furious. And well, you know, you lost me at provider. Listen, buddy, 
Forget the semantics. Okay, let's be realistic. We need to work together with nurse practitioners, with PAs, with nurses, with pharmacists on a team and think about systems and think about our community and think about the bigger picture while providing unique care for the patient at hand that's enabled with time and training to do that and using the team to support us. And, and, and that's my take. And honestly, people disagree with that. And it's gen- generally either the libertarian component of the physician community or the 2.0 guys who are like, well, no, you don't need more time per patient. You just need to work smarter, not harder. Okay, that's BS. Right. Okay, we've been trying that for decades. We've been trying that. Yeah, I heard that when I was a first-year medical student. But here's the tension (laughs) that you're – here's the tension, and this is the burden that I think you maybe unintentionally have shouldered or intentionally, is the the cohort of physicians who say, yes, change is needed, the cohort of everybody who says, yes, change is needed, but we want to go backwards – Part of that is driven from we don't know what else is out there. Two is we're scared of what else might be out there. Three, we're not trained on technology. Four, telemedicine scares us to death. How do we do this? How do we leverage it? Are we liable? Mm. That reconciling that tension and helping those people realize that, yeah, we are common ground. This has to change. But here is the way forward. Here's how you get trained up. Here's how you become value added. Here's how it gets you where you want to go in terms of reducing burnout, increased satisfaction, better outcomes for patients. That's, that's the part that I, that's the big heavy burden that you now have to schlep up Mount Everest. Yeah. And you know, this is the trick is I think a lot of the libertarian component that want to go backwards. And by the way, I have a lot of respect for those guys. Don't get me wrong. Like I think actually there's a beautiful magic, especially in rural areas, being able to just take care of patients without interference. The thing is they're now held to these sort of macro standards, right? Which is you're trying to manage populations, you're trying to improve outcomes, and they don't necessarily have the systemic tools to do that. And so it's very tricky when you're a one-off, you know, outpatient doc somewhere. It's the same with as a hospitalist. If you're not plugged in to the system, you're not, it's very hard to, to, to see the forest for the trees and actually take care of the patients across the continuum of care. You're just going to see them in that like snapshot. So if we can find a way to actually provide tools to that component of docs that where they can improve their outcomes. And I think part of it, Mark, is actually just how do you measure outcomes? Because right. we, we don't do it good right now at all. I mean, it's it's uh, these measures don't work. So the question is, do we use IBM Watson to go, okay, for this type of patient individually, we've looked at billions of this type of patient. Outcomes for this patient look like this. And it also, you have to give an input for what are the patient's hopes, dreams, fears, wishes. Because if you're not interpreting that, then your outcome may not matter to that patient and they're not gonna do it. They're not gonna adhere they're not going to care about it. Um, so you, you need time to understand that patient. You know, just like in hospital medicine, you know, we, if, if we're connected to the outpatient world and we know the PCPs, we take better care of that patient. There's better seamless handoffs. There's better communication. We understand the system better and we understand the patient better because the PCP calls us and says, you, what you need to know about this patient is they're terrified of X, Y, and Z. That's the thing that motivates them. Um, what, you know, you so, just, what you just laid out about hopes, dreams, aspirations, I think – that is going to be the the base. That's going to be the 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 stock of the best soup. You know, that's going to be the the foundation. That's the thing where if you can continue to connect with not just physicians but everyone around. Okay, what are the hopes, dreams, and aspirations that you have? And then this is what's going to get you there. You feel like we've lost the soul of medicine. There might be another way to get you back to it. We're not saying you're never going to get to talk to patients. In fact, you're going to get to do it more. You're yeah. going to have more access in real time to affect change, to affect outcomes. I think that's going to be something that's very compelling. 
To me, that's the heart of 3.0 is this idea of not only, you know, of interpreting in a relationship, the patient's hopes, dreams, fears, and also looking at your own. And, you know, in 3.0, you would have no compunction. You would know a patient well, all right? You would have no compunction saying, okay, if this were my mom, I would... I would withdraw support in the ICU. I would make her comfortable. I would get everybody, her rabbi or priest, whoever, at the bedside, and I would do that today. And that is what I would do if I were your, you know, where you are. And you wouldn't have compunction because you know that patient's hopes, dreams, and fears. You understand their wishes, and and you can make that decision. You could also say, you know what, I think we should, she would really really want to push through this. Let's try these things if they don't work. You know, whereas now we're just, it's an, it's a kind of a commodity relationship where we go, well, here are the options you have. Go decide, go use Dr. Google as your second opinion. Come back, tell me what you want to do and I'll just make it happen. And that's demoralizing, not just for us, but obviously for the patient who feels like a commodity, they're looking to us. We still have this trust and this gravitas in in the community that that now is being squandered in Health 2.0. Uh, and, and I think it was abused in Health 1.0 where it was so paternalistic and so dictative where we would just say, this is what you're going to do. Uh, I don't care what your hopes, dreams, fears are. This right. is what you're going to do. Um, so, you know, it, it is a, it's a real transcendent way of doing it that I think is better for everybody. We, this is how we want to practice. And there's clearly en- energy behind the messaging around this. Uh, you know, I looked on your website again, and there's that uh, four by four grid of where – you know, Z Dog and you uh, as Zubin are getting a lot of attention. Forbes, Time Magazine, Slate, U.S. News, Stat. The Atlanta. It kind of it, it's a it's a it's a compelling list. There's something missing though, and this is where Doctor Oz, yeah, no. <laughs> Doctor Oz, <laughs> when, where, how? Because that is the battle royale that we need to really be able to move on. To say, this is the stuff that matters. This is the conversation that's important. These are the people who want to create a system and create a a narrative with a a clear focus around population good. Mm. When, where, and how. Yeah. Well, you know, I think, think, um, and this this is where I'm sort of trying to decide what the next approaches because what's happening with me personally now is I'm just drowning in speaking engagements that I love to do because I travel around the country evangelizing Health 3.0, performing the songs, talking to groups that matter. The problem, and it generates revenue for me to then make more videos. And it means that I don't have to see patients full time, which is nice. It allows me now to do this work that I really feel like I should be doing at this part of my life. The, pro- the problem is it's so time consuming that I can't get anything else done. So the question is, what are the high yield things we can do to get this movement really started? Right. And so I've been looking at television stuff. I've been looking at documentary stuff. I've been looking at different video options and then having this live element. So Uh, One of the things that's pivoted since we last spoke is that I do a live cast once or twice a day on Facebook. And it's a live broadcast using Facebook Live technology. And each episode gets between 15 and 50,000 views. Um, And you do it, you know, twice a day. That's amazing. And, you know, a thousand comments, a pop. That is amazing. It's crazy. So I was the most surprised that this thing 
picked up. And so what has happened since is like everybody tunes in, we have this discussion. It could be a topic like what does hospital medicine look like in health 3.0 or what is the role of the nurse practitioner in health, you know, things like that. And people come in, they lend their voice and it's a discussion. And we've created this tribe on Facebook that's 300,000 people strong. So how do we mobilize those people to go into their own communities and be leaders, right? To be tribal leaders of their own tribe, mini tribes within healthcare. And I think once you reach that tipping point, you have this army of 3.0 enabled people that are going to, that are going to transform things. So I've been focusing a bit on that to the point where I've partnered with Physicians Weekly, which is one of those, um, you know, iPad enabled uh, journals that is in every doctor's lounge and a lot of doctor's offices to offer CME uh, for the live cast. So coming in October, you can watch one of the live casts, click a link, answer three post-test questions and get CME. So the idea is it's going to draw more people who are more reluctant to invest the time watching and engaging in a live cast to actually, well, I'm getting CE for this. So it's cool. So I can do it in the doctor's lounge or I could sit in the nurse's station and do this. Um, so I'm excited about that. I think that's one way we can help extend the movement. When the, when the documentary is made in 20 years about, you know, uh, the, the PBS style deep dive, this is going to be the, the training montage, right? With the really catchy music. <laughs> it's going to be, you know, jump cuts of you from like place to place and on Facebook and all these different things. And it's, you know, the getting stronger music from Rocky's going to be playing. Uh, the, the, that, that's funny. You know, I've always wanted to do an 80s style montage. Uh, Everyone loves training montages. If the movie's do. on that my wife is watching and I'm not watching it and a training montage comes on, she's like, oh, honey, oh. training montage. I will stop what I'm doing. And stop what watch. I'm doing. Getting stronger. Exactly. Every day. I love you know, it. It's, it's funny. Like, uh, it's so uncomfortable still for me to think of uh, myself in that role, right? Yeah. Of, of, of that one day this, this thing might actually happen. But the, the truth is now I've gotten to the point where, look, I just have to try to own this thing and push regardless of my own insecurities and feeling imposter syndrome and all of that, which are going to continue till the day I die. But if I, if I don't try to own it, then it, 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 honestly, we need the momentum. We built enough of a platform that I, I have to start, just start doing it with, with people who are on board, like you, Mark, who would sit and interview me for a podcast about it. Like that's a huge honor. And it's a, it's a tremendous opportunity to get the word out because you get like really great caliber guests on your show. So, you know, this kind of thing, I think hopefully we can grow it together. You've moved from, I remember, I, I, it was, I think it was like an old rock magazine back in the day where they talked about how a band, when it breaks, first they're playing little clubs, little bars, then they're playing bigger clubs, then they're playing arenas, then they're playing stadiums. You're moving along that progression. I mean, you're no longer playing in front of, you know, five people who are sipping coffee and, and listening to their iPads. You're, you're, you're moving along that and you're growing your audience. You're growing that demand. Is it two things? Is it growing faster than you thought? And what do you, is there a ceiling? Is there a place where you're going to say, okay, this is, I've got what I can get. You know, uh, every day I wake up terrified that I've overextended and I don't know, yeah. and I'm in a space that I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, you know, this week I'm going to Orlando to speak. Good. To That's yeah. important though, because that mm. says you are way out there on the bleeding edge. You know, if you feel like you're, if you're trying to initiate change, if you're trying to upend, overturn and revolutionize, but you feel like you're standing still, then it's not working. It would definitely, I'm terrified. 
and and you know <laughs> good, good, it's good. just gotten crazy and you know like what's weird what's weird that has happened is you know like uh, this week i'm going to orlando to speak to the ancc magnet conference 10,000 nurses in the orlando convention center and i just got away from the ena emergency nurses association 3000 3500 nurses and the uh, the response that you get it's almost like it's a it's a scary like weird celebrity response where you can't walk across the convention hall and people are asking you to sign stuff and selfies and you need to be escorted out by security sort of thing. And so my concern, my one concern is that among many concerns, number one, I don't know what I'm doing. Number two, I'm totally talentless and a hack. And number three, I'm, uh, I'm an imposter and they're going to figure it out. But the, the fourth problem is that I don't want this to become a, a weird cult of personality around this character of ZDog MD or Zubin Demania or whatever. It needs, I need to disappear. And this idea of health 3.0 needs to be almost self-sustaining. And that would be the ideal is like, I go from stadiums back to coffee shops and the thing just does its thing and the movement unfolds and I'm there to help a little bit, but it's not about me. And I, I don't know how to get to that point. I think you have to push through this, this stage of weirdness. You're in the credibility building phase. You're in the, you're in the movement building phase. And then as you continue to go forward, you're going to find your champions. You're going to find your little, you know, your little nodes of energy that are going to be scattered around and you'll have people that can be delegated to and can, you know, have a, have a playbook and, and, and push forward. It's not there yet, but it's certainly going to get there. And, and there's clearly, you know, energy and fuel to keep the engines turning. Well, I'm, I'm glad you believe it. Um, I, I, I have to sort of, uh, I have to push through every day, the sort of doubts and insecurity around that. But I think, I think we have to do it. You know, the, 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 <laughs> the tribe of followers on Facebook call themselves the Z pack. Yes, they which, do. I thought was pretty funny because it's kind of a dig at Pfizer's uh, ZPAC and also a um, an interesting tribal kind of statement. And these guys, they started a, a group on Facebook called the Health 3.0 Tribe, and it's already got almost 3,000 members in a very short period of time. And people use that space to post articles, thoughts, uh, ideas, bright spots for how to build 3.0. And then what I do is I troll through there and I get the best ideas and then I talk about them in a live cast. And so we're, we're, we're harnessing the power of the healthcare masses to really kind of uh, push forward this, this vision. So hopefully we can, we can work together to do it because all, all healthcare is local, right? Like what you're doing um, up north is very different. It's going to look very different, that flavor of health 3.0, than it's going to look in Las Vegas. Um, and so everybody has to implement it based on these basic principles. We get paid for great outcomes. We take care of each other, work in a team, use technology to support us, and we pay attention to that specific patient at hand. If we do the right thing for the patient, it, for their hopes, dreams, and fears, we do well financially. Everything's aligned. We don't know exactly how to pull that off yet. Our clinic in Vegas is one approach. It's not perfect, um, but there, there, it can be done. Um, and even if it involves using augmented intelligence, definitely talking about genomics and personalized medicine, all of that kind of feeds into the 3.0 ethos that at, at heart is an analog relationship between human beings that's enabled by digital technology. You've got an interesting charge ahead of you, and I know you probably have either a plane or a car or something waiting to, to take you to the next destination. So grateful for the amount of time that we've been able to have to talk about this stuff and chew it over. And you'll obviously come back again when, when the journey continues and we need to revisit. Oh, I'd love to. Uh, it's really an honor, man. And fellow hospitalist to hospitalist, uh, we have to do our secret handshake, the Wonder Twin Powers activate piece. You know, that's right. We, have. We, we can't talk about it too much. We don't want people to know that that's... Nope. 
no. But uh, yeah, I mean, hospital medicine will will always remain the the cornerstone in the lifeblood. So that's right, and we've already said too much. <laughs> that's great, <laughs> Zubin. Thank you so much, Mark. It's a real pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.